There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 506. Uh, there are some live show opportunities for us to say hello to one another, May 1st, 2nd, 3rd at Caroline's in New York. We're going to be doing stand-up with uh, Mike Lawrence and Chris Lamberth. Both of those guys will be opening for me. And also May 16th and 17th in Nashville as part of the Wild West Comedy Festival. We're going to be doing At Midnight Live. So uh, those, are the, those are the two things. If you go to carolines.com, uh, you can get tickets and info on that. And if you go to wildwestcomedyfestival.com, then you can get tickets on the At Midnight Lives. I'd like to thank Stamps.com for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast, as they have for, uh, for, for quite a lot. I have to thank them for being an early adopter sponsor of the Nerdist Podcast and sticking with us, because it is a technological wonderland that we live in that you can print out the exact postage you need from your computer for any letter, any package, and you stick it right on the thing and then hand it to your mail carrier. Technology, I mean, look, Sometimes technology gets dangerous and you go, this technology is going to either absorb my life or become self-aware. And then other times you go, well, this is actually very helpful. This is where the robots are doing us a good favor. I'd be fine with the matrix where they just sorted and took our mail for us. Uh, that would be fine if stance.com ran the matrix. If agent Smith was just uh, agent stamps. Dot com, and he just said, I'm here to deliver the exact postage you need and take it to your intended recipient, uh, Mr. Anderson. Then that, I would be way on board that. Uh, right now, as always, you can use the promo code NERDISK for a no-risk trial, $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in NERDIST. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. This episode is John Delancey, who you may know as Q from Star Trek Next Gen. You may know as Donald Margolis, a.k.a. Jane's dad from Breaking Bad, uh, or a million other things that he has done. He is uh, a lovely and really interesting guy. We found out so many fascinating things about John Delancey. He's every bit as interesting as the tenor of his voice suggests that he would be. Uh, but we had a lovely time. I actually... This uh, Matt Myra initially was really bummed because he was afraid he wasn't going to be able to make this one because of writing on At Midnight. And I was like, hey, you know what? Let's sneak you out of that office for a minute. Let's get in there so you can meet Q. John is also in the series My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, as Discord, uh, which is a big deal because, first of all, it's a good show. And second of all, 
he made a whole documentary about it, an entire documentary about the Brony phenomenon called Bronies, the Extremely Unexpected Adult Fans of My Little Pony. It is on Netflix. We talk about it. We cover all the bases here with John Delancey and a bunch of, the, a bunch of bases that you didn't even know were there. But you will know after you listen to the Nerdist Podcast number 506 with John Delancey. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's a live room, is what it is. It's a very live room. <laughs> it is. We're working on dampening some of the uh, uh, sound that bounces right, around. You going to bring in some humidifiers? Katie, Katie went to Ikea and got some stuff. Oh, Ikea. She's, that's where I go for all my sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's going to get some egg you got to run for run. the floor. Yeah. It's going it's to be all sweet. It's going to have a real good sound in here, man. It really it's going to be good when we jam. It's going right. to be sweet right. when we jam our tunes. Uh, John, it is delightful to have you on the podcast. Thank you, thank you. We are huge fans of yours for many things. But then you all you do a lot of stuff, and we, we'll kind of get into all of it. But first of all, um, uh, I adored you on Breaking Bad. I hosted the after show for Breaking Bad, and so I watched... Oh, over at the cemetery? Yeah, well, there, AMC did a show, like the last eight episodes, there was a post-wrap-up show that sort of like talked about... It right. basically just canceled people through the end of Breaking Bad. Right, right. <laughs> canceled. Good <Yeah. laughs> so service. I watched every episode uh, in great detail, and it, you were amazing on that. Yeah. On yeah. that show. Well, the writing is amazing. Yeah, but it's like if they had just handed those words to a a doltish, non talented actor, it wouldn't have done any good. But that was such an incredible. I mean, when people talk about storylines in Breaking Bad, the you know, you and Jane are like two of the biggest things that always come up when people talk about it. I've had um, interesting encounters with 25-year-old type uh, age range kids who look at me, who, go, who recognize me, then look at me very sort of obliquely. Their heads are down and they're looking up and they go, uh, hey, you, know, well, you know, man, I... Uh, I, I guess uh, I, I kind of now know what my parents are going through. Oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah. So their parents also caused an air traffic control? No, 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 oh, no, right. no. Sorry. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. Um, but, you know, you kind of go, wow, it, it, this is the power of te- television. And for this kid to understand that his mother or father was going through the agony that the character I was playing yeah. was going through because his daughter was a, a drug addict uh, was really sort of um, a, a major epiphany for this kid or these 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 kids. Well, let's just do a little mini talking bad because right, uh, we didn't uh, get to we didn't we didn't for some reason get to talk to you during the run of the show. So, what was? At what point did he did that character just give up? Do you think? Do you think he was always sort of resigned, like it's never going to get better, or was he ever hopeful, or was you know? At what point did he just give up? Was it her death or before? Oh no, he never gave up. I mean, uh, he. I, you have to understand. I have to talk 
Yeah. I yeah. never yeah. gave yeah. up. Yeah. Okay. No, I never gave up. I, um, it was my daughter. It's my daughter. She has a problem. That's why you saw me so every night going with her to to um, um, rehab and, and your, you know, the, the meetings and stuff like that. Never, ever, ever, ever gave up. Um, and then, of course, she dies. And um, I'm going to get a little um, emotional about it. But it's, it's um, and, and then I think his world simply just, he just fell into empty space at that point. Yeah. I mean, they say, you know, in the, within, in the context of the show, they were saying like, oh, he went back to work too soon, you know, but I kind of thought, well, he was never really going to be okay going back to work. Like that pretty much was it for that guy. Well, I mean, you could say that. I mean, some people recover. I mean, everybody, you know, recovers in a way, unless those who don't. But I, I, I never thought of it as being somebody who could not recover. It, it was possibly too early to go back. Uh, and, and certainly, um, the, uh, it, it, when we were doing the, the air traffic control stuff, I said, you know, I need to hear what these guys sound like. And so they gave me tapes of them. I have never, <laughs> I've never heard people talk so quickly. <laughs> and so almost, uh, you can't figure out what they're saying. You know, 105, I mean, it's like a, like a, so, so I, it's sort of a drone and I began going, oh, that's really interesting. This is sort of a drone. He's looking at the thing and it's really easy for him to do and just begin to slip away. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause he's are there are, you're already starting at this one. You're already starting in there and you, you know, and you have to keep a lot of things, you know, you have to keep one plane at one altitude, the other plane, another, he's calling it. You know, whatever it was, uh, he's mixing up the name of his daughter with the name of the, with you know, Jet and Jane, and I mean, it's all becoming a big. It's a it, it's all merging together for him. Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, did did they did they had they given you the arc bef- when you first came in, or did you no. discover it along? Did they give I you discovered. The way? Yeah. No, I didn't know. Yeah. And how did you feel when you first read? Well, where it you was know, going? we don't have. I mean, most actors are looking at it from their small position. Um, we don't have that huge overview. Uh, we try to gain it to kind of understand where we are, but it doesn't necessarily help us play it. So, um, because you don't want to be commenting. You, you want to be in it. Um, and so... Um, I could feel that the people around me, the writers, the producers, knew that this had a, a, a significance. But I needed to be more attached to the fact that I walk into a room and I see my my daughter in bed with a with a drug addict. Oh my god! Oh my god! Everything that we've been working for for the last year is down the drain, and so that's how I process it. You yeah. Know? And um, you knew when you were on that set that you were on a very special show. Um, um, it's really unusual for a television show to be shooting the amount of pages, as few pages a day. They, they were really shooting a lot of film, two cameras on the, on the stuff that I was doing, um, and really taking their time. 
And um, at first I thought, oh, my, you know, we, we, usually on a TV show you, 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 you do it you know, once, twice, three times. If you start getting into the fourth time, um, it's because there's a technical problem or they really don't like what you're doing. Hmm. And, you know, there's, there's some problems. So when we got into the fourth time, I thought, oh, they don't like what I'm doing. Uh, and it became, and so that made me, you know, self-conscious. But then when I saw, no, no, they're working as well. They're in the video village, the writer, the director, the producer, the, the you know, the exec, the, you know, everybody is there looking and watching. Uh, they now are creating too. So they're seeing, you know, if I might have touched, you know, Aaron Paul's, arm and then we go oh my god that means so much and you know we like that john would you do that again and just you know make sure you 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 know when you grab his arm and so they're working as well and the minute that became apparent that everybody was working um you you kind of blow the ceiling off of the scene and you're into now you know the the wonderfulness of creating and that doesn't happen very often uh were you able to um were you able to rub off the emotional residue of the day, or do you take it home with you when you when you finish? Uh, you don't really. I mean, everybody is different, but I don't really take it home. the The biggest problem is is that you know I don't have to. I I, I have ch- I have children of my own, so substituting Jane for one of my sons is not difficult. The problem is is that your body doesn't know. That <laughs> that you're doing a little mind game, right? Your body thinks that you are in mourning, um, and so days like that can become exhausting. You, um, uh, but but my mind knew that. Thankfully, I wasn't really in that in that place. But your brain definitely has to do the has to like pick the car of your body up off the yeah. ground. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. it's sort of depressing. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, I, I always, I think, um, I'm 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 so empathic with people in the sense that I just absorb whatever emotions they're feeling or absorb whatever emotions and take it home. And I can't, I cannot, I do not have the ability to to just switch things on and off. And I, I think being a dramatic actor, it, to me, it sounds horrible because I just feel like I would be stuck with this backlog of emotions that I would then have to get therapy for fake things that happened. <laughs> that weren't actually- well, you know what's fun is that especially when you play a role that goes on for a long period of time. Um, so for me, in most instance, instances, it was plays and things like that. You do begin to assume some of the characteristics of the character. So... Um, when I played Lord Byron, he was a. Re- I thought of him as being a really menschy sort of, you know, wonderfully wo- wonderful guy. Uh, when I played uh, Tanner in um, in Men Superman, he he he's just he was so cutting in his in his the way in which he put words together, and it was so so you know wonderfully kind of. Uh, 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 it was everything I wish I could, how I could speak. And so I, I felt like I kind of got a little smarter playing him. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, 
you're you started television. I mean, you did your theater background, theater, but you started doing television like in the in the seventies, right? Did yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Did I did I read that you were actually uh, made a, more than one appearance on the Six Million Dollar Man? You yes, <laughs> that was my first every, job. Every young boy's favorite show in the seventies. There, there we go. The Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what was the? I mean, did you had you? I know you're from Philadelphia, but did you just move out to Los Angeles? Had you been in New York? Then you then come to Los Angeles for, for uh, to I, that? I had gone to drama school in, in, in New York. And uh, and I went to, uh, right out of drama school, I went to the American Shakespeare Festival. And I did a season there. And then I went back into New York fully expecting to stay in New York. And I did two or three auditions. And I was very fortunate to get them. And one of them was this completely unexpected um, uh, thing which was, would you? We'd like to have you be a contract player at Universal, which was. I remember contract players as, as, you know, like Humphrey Bogart yeah, as a yeah. contract player. <laughs> so I was like, wow. That's, and you basically the studio owns you, and you live on that. They, li- yeah, they live in their housing, and they, they were still yeah. doing that in the seventies. Yeah, I was there for the last two years of the contract. Oh players. wow! Yeah. And. Um, uh, I, I have to say, I had never really aspired to <laughs> certainly the six million dollar man. <laughs> well, I mean, no one dreams that big. <laughs> that's, 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 that's true. Right, I mean, right. he's worth six million dollars. <laughs> um, but um, what was wonderful about the contract system was is that I, I think I did close to forty shows in two years. Whoa! Oh, wow. wow, which is unheard of now. You yeah. just you just can't do that. And and I was so raw and you ever so show up to the wrong gig with a cowboy outfit and go, Oh, sorry. <laughs> this is Falcon Crest, I'm sorry. <laughs> Somebody's house maybe. <laughs> um so it, it was great. I, I can't say that I enjoyed it. Really. <laughs> um, well, so I went back to the theater. I mean, after two years, I went back. I went up to <laughs> Seattle and I went back into the theater. That, well, that's that's sort of the uh, that's sort of the fun paying your dues period of time where you're just sort of at the mercy of like you know you're going to work, you're going to do it as much as possible because. This is this is just how it begins. This is this, these are the skill sets you're going to learn that'll be right. And also, they're the things that are being offered to you. I mean, you know, you it would. I, I didn't think of myself as being so clear about my talents that I could say, "Well, I will only do," you know, <laughs> uh, Barnaby Jones, Ber- Ber- Barnaby Jones, yeah. <laughs> Bergman, you know, uh, movies or something like that. I just didn't. I didn't feel confident enough. Um, so I did what was in front of me, um, and then I then I went back into the theater, and then I had this sort of epiphany, which was is that so many of the people in the theater. I've been in, in three different um, acting companies, and. All of the people 20 years ahead of me, which is something that I always tend to look at. What, what are people doing 20 years ahead of me? And I'd still do that um, as a time machine, as a way to see, gee, that really works for that person. And maybe that would work for me or that really doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is that um, they were having real um, financial problems and they had... The, the theater, the theater was you know six hundred dollars a week, and um, and it's still six hundred dollars a week. <laughs> uh, so 
you know, and, and the ones who wanted to have kids and, the, you know, and, and a you know, car that actually worked. I, I'll never forget it. A guy showed up late for rehearsal, which is almost just you just don't do something like that. And, um, and it wasn't his fault, but he and I know a little bit about cars. He was so angry because here he was. He was a 45 year old actor. I was 25 years old. And his car had broken down for the umpteenth time and he couldn't pay for it. And I just thought, surely there must be a way to kind of combine these two things where you have a commercial career and an artistic career. Well, yeah. And it's, it, and then hopefully at some point they, they, they slurk, they, you know, the platelets merge and merge and merge. And then all of a sudden you have a fulfilling career that sustains you. Right. And that, and that, I mean, and the thing is with, with acting is that, is that for the most part, your jobs never last more than a couple of days or, you know, of a, a, a couple of months every once in a while you might get if you work on, on, on a television show you might get a series and stuff like that but but for the most part we don't have that underpinning so we are truly freelance and we are truly self-contractors and so you know there are a lot of things of which you have to understand in that process is you completely have to turn around the notion about how you live your life when you are making money is when you save it <laughs> you do not spend money when you are making it. Well, that's completely contrary to the way in which the rest of the world operates. Oh, yeah. yes, the rest of the world. <laughs> ah, crap. That's <laughs> very saving some. That is, that is a wonderful bit of advice for anyone. Because I think, you know, we live like such... We live like parasites most of the time where it's like, oh, there's more. Nom, 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 eat, 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 right, eat, eat. Right. And then when that's done, then you're done. Yeah. You're like, now I just got to wait until something else comes along. But, but saving when you're making money is such a simple, genius idea that I guarantee most people never even think of. Right. And actors and a lot of other people. You know, I always think of – I used to think of it as being like on an – well, I'll tell you where I picked this up is, is when I was doing Amundsen. Uh, I played Amundsen in Terra Nova. And so I was able to look at the way in which he ended up going to the South Pole and what have you. And he did a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of, you know, taking caches of food and dropping them off 100 miles down, you know, down the trail and then coming back and then going 200 miles. And, and I began going – Oh, this would be a really good way to operate financially. Hmm. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, uh, same thing with with uh, <coughs> you know, if, if you think of yourself on a um, on on an ice flow, well, you're doing well, but and you know maybe that other ice flow, which is the next job, is right next to you, and you can hop from one to the other. But sooner or later, those ice flows are going to be far apart, and that's really cold, dark water there. Yeah, and that's where most people um, perish. Most people in our in industry perish there because they cannot, they have not, they have not um, put together enough, uh, you know, they have not saved enough to be able to get from one ice flow to the other. Well, you're, you're also, I love the guys driving around town in like the uh, '87 Porsche that they bought when they got that screenplay sold, and well, then they're still driving it. Right, right. I, I enjoy seeing that. Yeah. Right. That's why I think it's 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 so funny to see that. You know, some people's success are frozen in the period of time. You know, like you could see, like, oh, the guy that has the clam-shaped house, like, he peaked in 78. Yeah. Yeah. When you, clams were in. <laughs> no, but that, hey, that's, that's still weird. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it's, a really, uh, it's a really fantastic idea to take, um, smart idea to take desperation out of the equation. Because there will be periods where you're not, where it's not 
coming in as easily. So to take out that, so you don't, so you're not necessarily forced to take the I just have to survive so I can, you know, get to work and eat days. Right, right. right. That you can, with a little bit of planning, you know, to some degree prevent that stuff. Yeah, to from some degree. And then there's still, you know, the way it works, uh, which is not, which is for the most part, you know, we're, we are in a business, or I'm in a business that um, staying extra hours of the day, uh, getting up earlier, um, uh, you know, all the things that, that usually make for, for success in regular businesses do not apply. They just don't apply. So um, you, you, what can you kind of control? What can you kind of um, organize in such a way as to give yourself as much longevity as possible? So when um, – it's not like we're not going to talk about Star Trek. Um, when that came along, um, had you previously been a fan of the series or did you know anything about it? To you, was it just like, oh, this is just a TV job and, uh, you know, I'm an – I mean – It was – it was essentially a TV job. I knew uh, – I got a call from my agent who said, um, I have an audition for you. It's for Star Trek. I went, well, but they already did Star Trek. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she said, well, I don't know. They're doing it again. And it's for – oh, it must be a typo. It's just a letter Q. <laughs> and, and I said, well, I am uh, – I'm in rehearsals right now. And uh, she said, well, your audition is at whatever time it was. I said, yes, but I'm in rehearsals um, down at the taper. And, and, um, and in any case, I didn't go. Hmm. I didn't go to that audition because I was in rehearsals. I mean, I was playing a really major part. And they, just, they don't let you out to rush off and do uh, – and I didn't go. A week later, um, she called back and she said, you know, a pro- you didn't go to that audition. I said, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in rehearsals. And she said, well, when is your lunch hour? Maybe I could get them to see you on your lunch hour. Um, there is a producer who keeps asking for you. So they set it up. The next day I went there on my lunch hour. I went in. I knocked it off. Walked <laughs> out. And a guy came out, you know, out of the room with me. And he put his hands on my shoulder and he was, and he was a big guy. And he said, you make my words sound better than they are. No. Oh. I said, well, you must be the writer. He said, oh, I'm Gene Roddenberry. Wow. <laughs> I had no idea who that was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice to meet you, Gene. You uh, Adam, you Adam 12's Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then um, I, I, he said, I think we're going to be seeing you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm now rushing to the door because I have to get back to rehearsals. And there's another guy who stops me and he says, um, I'm the producer that has been calling for you. And this is a payback. I said, what are you talking about? He said, "Um, about six years ago, I was flat on my back in a hospital with a quadruple bypass operation. And you made me laugh when I thought I was going to die. And that I was on a I was on a soap opera. (laughs) <laughs> and I played this very wacky, very funny character in a soap opera. And uh, he said, they're going to use you. And I said, oh, great. Now I'm asking for the first time, well, when is this? He said, and he gave me the dates. And I said, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm, in, I'm doing a play. And we're going to go to uh, Japan. 
And he goes, well, I think that you should get out of that play because this is going to be really important. And I said, look, you want me to start in six weeks. What if something, what, and I do that. What if some, another job came in that was actually better than your job? So what, am I supposed to come to you and say, you know, guess what? I'm out of your job and I'm taking this out of your job. I can't do that. I just can't do it. It's just not right. So they began playing this dance, the agents and the producers saying, when could we, could we, we want to hire him for a month, but we will hire him for two weeks and we'll do all of the stuff in the last two weeks, but he has to be back on Monday, whatever, the 18th. And now I'm saying, oh my God, Monday the 18th, well, what, is, what am I doing on the 17th and where am I? I was in Tokyo <laughs> doing a show on Sunday afternoon, on whatever day that was, on that Sunday. I don't know if it was the 17th or 18th. And I, uh, I said, I went, well, that's, that's it. That's, that's, that's the end. And my wife said, no, 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 international dateline. <gasps> so you made it by a day. I made it by a day. I love, by the yeah. way, how TV people have no respect for theater between the age of the producers. Yeah, yeah, you can just cancel that, right? I mean, it's just you and your friends. No, well, no, 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 this is, a, this is a play. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm committed. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and, and honestly, props to you for not going, yeah, fuck the play. You know, like for saying, no, I'm, I'm a theater person. I was committed to this and I, I have to well, do Well, I mean, this. it was a real job. It, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like a, you know, an equity waiver type thing. It was, a real, re- it was a real job and I was really committed to it. Yes, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So it was all very, I mean, I guess the point of my story is, is, is that how utterly capricious the whole thing was. But it could have so easily gone another way. Well, and also you never know, you know, I'm sure you're doing a soap opera at the time going, eh, it's work, what's this going to lead to? Not realizing that there's a guy in a hospital right, right. who's going to cast you later to basically appear in eight episodes of a seven-season show and be one of the most memorable characters right. in right. That yeah, seven yeah, years. No. So you know, you don't know. You don't know. So when you uh, when you when you got onto the project, did you immediately? I mean, obviously they knew they wanted you for that. So they did they write to your strengths, or did you work with them, or did you just say, "Well, I'll just take the pages and do whatever"? No, I mean, I auditioned. I knew what the material was. I was also <laughs> playing Amundsen at the time, who was a bigger than life guy. So I had all of that kind of part of me up and running, okay? Um, I mean, it could have been very different if I had been playing the, the character from Breaking Bad. I mean, you know, who's sort of shell-shocked. Oh, Q's yeah. a bummer this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so I had all of that up and running. I prepped all of my stuff, obviously, like all of us do, before arriving. And then, and then it was, you know, off you go. And for me, it was, it was only intended... Uh, I think they only thought it was going to be, and certainly I only thought it was going to be a, a one shot. But at any point, did they say maybe we should spin this off into? Because I always wanted to know more about that character. I always wanted they only you. you well, the continuum is crazy when you think about it. But then, like, I mean, you forget he also introduced the Borg to the Federation. I... In the second season, don't worry about it. I've no, watched I watched a lot with friends like that. Yeah. Who needs enemies? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> well, you were helping them. You were preparing them for what was coming. That's, that's right. He was doing a good thing. For coming back to yeah. Earth. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is pretty astonishing to think that eight episodes, which constitute, you know, maybe just a couple months of work out of seven years, that really... I mean, it's. I remember um, when Eric Idle was on the podcast talking about Python, and he was like, I mean, this constituted such a small period of my life. And then this thing, you know, is something that I, they just lasted for years, and people always want to talk to him about this one. And he's like, but to me, I, we shot this stuff, and it was very brief, and then that was it, and then I moved on, and then it's, you know. Yeah, it's the tomato that sticks on the wall. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, and you have to kind of embrace it, you know. Uh, I, I'm sure that in some instances, which I'm not particularly aware of, but I'm, I know is out there, it's 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 held me back. But for the most part, it's been extraordinarily um, positive. It, it's given me opportunities that I would not have had otherwise. Yeah. Um, you also do a lot of voiceover work. As well, which is, I do that too, and it's the greatest job yeah, in the world. Right. We, we could be dressed also. the way we are right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> this is it. We're doing it right now. That's right. We're doing it right now. We should mention, though, on the heels of the How I Met Your Mother finale, which was to some unsatisfying, he was in All Good Things, which was, I think, the most satisfying of all the finales. Oh, of all the finales, yeah. yeah. Which we watched in the last show that we yeah. did live. Yeah. yeah. We did the show at Meltdown where we would watch episodes of Star Trek and talk over them and make fun of them. Oh, yeah. Because Matt will tell you everything. I mean, I loved Next Generation. Matt lived Next Generation. I was a lonely child. <laughs> I, 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 my first experience of talking over a movie was when I went to camp. I was 10 years old. Uh-huh. It was a two-month camp up in... in, in, um, in uh, two months? Yeah. Jeez. Up in New Hampshire. Sounds like a Jewish day camp. And we only had one movie. Jeez. That was shown every Saturday night. <laughs> so the first two or three times, you know, we watched it, you know, dutifully watched it. But of course, by like the, you know, the fifth time. Yeah. You know, uh, so all the 10 year, you know, all the little kids were in front and in, in all the way back to the seniors. Those, those, you know, those, those, those old men, you know, <laughs> those 14 year olds. That's everything's done. The bags of hormones in the back. <laughs> That's right. They are calling out, you know, just the funniest yeah. uh, quips that you it's could. It's the most fun It's thing. the yeah. most fun. So I what was, was the movie? Oh, it, it was, I think it was the Eddie Duchin story. <laughs> Kids love it. Great. It was just ridiculous. It's, it was a ridiculous choice. But we, 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 we loved it. That's great. Yeah. Did you feel like, uh, did you enjoy growing up in the period of time you grew up in? Or do you think you'd love to grow up now? I mean, in other words, you guys really... Just hearing that one movie two months every Saturday night, like it was really, you pretty much just had your imagination and outside, and that was pretty much it. Do you do you prefer that, or do you think it'd be fun now to be able to be distracted all the time with technology? Um, I, you know, I, I actually have thought about it. I'll tell you wh- where I began understanding that there was some there were some issues, and that is is that I went to my um, nephew, or this is, I don't know, 15 years ago, 
yeah, 15 years ago. I went to my uh, nephew's graduation from a big high school up in Seattle. Uh, and they had, uh, you know, a high school, like 3,000 kids or what have you. And they had a, 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 a video montage of their year. And it struck me that 90% of the music was my music. Hmm. I mean, yeah. when I was growing up, uh, and that made me begin to think, ooh, what is happening here? Is it, is it that they're using, is it they're using the music from my period because it, it holds more emotional weight and therefore, or they've connected more with it or what is it? Um, I have two sons, uh, a a 29 year old and a 26 year old. And, um, I think that they're growing up in a much more difficult time than when I grew up. Um, also I really loved the sixties to the extent that as a kid, you really felt that you were involved in a political movement that was really important. And it was, it, 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 it had a lot of, um, everything had a, a vibrance to it. Um, and I don't know if that's the case right now. Um, so, so in a way, I'm happy I went to Woodstock. <laughs> I, I was at Kent State University, wow. where, where that took place. Uh, so I was at two rather major out, uh, events in, in that period of time, the 60s and 70s. Um, so I'm happy with where I where I hit hit the ground. What was Woodstock like on the ground level? I think just because we, I mean, you know. It was awful. <laughs> it looks like it's It looks like it was miserable. There it was, was miserable. It's yeah. like, you know. You were wet and yeah. cold. <laughs> I mean, you know. It just sounds like take Coachella and put it in an even shittier place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the best thing about Woodstock, as far as I was concerned, was the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you could get around Woodstock on the back of a motorcycle with that dude, it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, but if right. you have to trench all the way across the field to see I mean, a band. We just, we, just, we just think of this very romanticized <laughs> ideal of Woodstock where everyone gets there and they're like, you know, we're wet and we're muddy, but guys, no. we're a part of something really special. Yeah. Not that, you know, people are shitting in the mud and whacked out on drugs and yeah. it's, you know, like too crowded. I slept underneath a VW bug when we I tell you there's no you don't you don't turn around <laughs> because there was no other place we just weren't set up for 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 anything and and everybody the other people were in the car you know uh uh oh uh, yeah it it, it it was madness um and it was only afterwards that we dis- discovered that we had been at something that was um you know Infamous, if, or or famous, whatever you want to say. That thing, really? That thing changed the world? I slept on the ground. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Really? Um, I'm also really interested to hear. Your father was an, the oboist for the Philadelphia um, Symphony. Right. Symphony, Philadelphia Philharmonic. Uh, the uh, Philadelphia Orchestra. Philadelphia Orchestra. Yeah. And he also ran the Curtis Institute of Music, which is a very famous music school. Wow. Do you play anything? No. <laughs> Purposely part, so. That part of the pie was taken up. <laughs> His voice is an instrument, Chris. <laughs> I've done a lot of narrations with symphony orchestras. I mean, major all the most of the major symphony orchestras uh, in certainly in the U.S. and Canada and 
Australia. And so and I, and I wrote a lot of pieces, um, sort of um, symphonic theater pieces, which tried to mel, or tried to merge, um, oh, let's say, uh, Mendelssohn's Romeo, uh, Mendelssohn's uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, just bringing the text back in, or or Romeo and Juliet using um, using the text, and also eleven different composers. But then, uh, um, what are the other ones? Uh, Bourgeois Gentlemen. Uh, you know, so th- I I did a lot of things like that. I also wrote a lot of didactic pieces so that an audience could understand what it was like to have been at the opening night of the Rite of Spring. It really sounds like that theater was the internet, where, where you could just try stuff. And as long as, you know, a handful of people showed up, you could, you could do that. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what, 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 what do you well, mean. Well, I mean, the internet, the internet being, you know... If I have this idea, I want to mash up a bunch of different things. I can just make a video and put it online and people can see it. And the theater feels like that was the, that was the one platform, for lack of a better term, that you could just experiment and say, oh, I want to try this or I want to take Well, I, yeah, 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 it wasn't – I mean you have to be hired to do that. You, you don't just say, you know, oh, let's all get 100 you know, musicians together and we'll just see what this works. I mean I was hired by companies to come in and create shows – so um, it was a v- highly structured, um, uh, deadline-oriented uh, type of... Would the guidelines be like, hey, here's what we want you to do. We want you to take this and this. Well, they would say, we, we, we want to do the Hofner Serenade, Mozart's Hofner Serenade. Um, what can you create for us? You know, so I I would you know take a look at, at, at whatever there was out there yeah. and things like that. Uh, um, we want to do uh, uh, um, Schumann's uh, um, first piano concerto, and, I, and then you know, and then sometimes you discover you kind of go, oh my God, Clara Schumann wrote has a, you know there was a diary that they and letters between them. Oh, that makes it fantastic. And then there was a father who didn't want his daughter to be going out with uh, with Robert Schumann and so there, there's a there's a you know an antagonist there and and you know so that's a real story yeah, and, yeah. and so so I, I tried to create musical events where 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 it would be um, it would give the audience member a, a context in which these pieces were were created um, Prokofiev I wouldn't have chosen the cello concerto, but they wanted to do the cello concerto. But it allowed me to go right into what Soviet, what what it was like to be a, com- a composer in Soviet Russia, mm-hmm. where they're saying to you, "We don't like what you are writing, and we're really serious about that." <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, yeah, be happening a little bit now. Uh, it, one it, might guess. Yeah, right. Sure. Um, but uh, why is it that you think that? Uh, why? Because I was, my mom would listen to classical music when I was a kid, and you know, I'd be like, "Oh, come on, mom!" And then the older you get, and you start going, "Oh, wow!" I really start to. Is it because the older you, when you're younger, you just need to be satisfied at a very surface level? And the older you get, the more wisdom you have, the deeper you look for things or you understand story or what, what, what is it? I, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't have a ready answer for that other than to say, I think you, you, you sonically become a little more sophisticated in the sounds in which you're hearing. Um, also, it's really difficult. Uh, 
you know, I think that people should listen to classical music, but not at the exclusion of not listening to pop music. Uh, pop music carries carries your your story. You know, uh, your generations, uh, each of our generations' story is in there. So to to not listen to that is to sort of not be in touch with what's going on. But um, but I think that as time goes on, one begins to appreciate uh, more and more some of the classical music. Now, understand something. Just because it's classical music doesn't mean it's terrific. I mean, Mozart, one of the greatest composers to ever work, not all of his pieces are fantastic. Yeah, some of them were intended as dinner music. Yeah. And, and dinner music meant people were talking and eating, and, you know, and if they happened to hear something that they liked, oh, we like that little violin thing, you know, could you play that again? And they would listen for a few minutes, and then they'd go back to talking and listening. <laughs> we have sort of museum-fied all of this. Sure. Uh, which is unfortunate, but that's the way it goes. I think it'd be really great to take a class in, like, the shittiest artists of all the time. I mean, like, of any period, because, I, you know... Whenever people would say like, "Oh, in the in the old days, you know, this things were better," and some go, "Yeah, you're just remembering the best stuff. That's what survived. Yeah. There were always crappy artists in history. You just don't remember them because their work right. withered because right. no one liked yeah. it. You only remember the greatest hits. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So it'd be really interesting. I'm sure somewhere there's some curriculum that's like <laughs> these these were widely cons- I think that would be amazing. These are widely considered the eight worst composers. Of the yeah. Baroque period or whatever, or, or of, or of <laughs> right, you know, right, right. 1300 to 1800. Next yeah. month, we'll be going over the stupidest dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Diplodocus. What was that guy's deal? <laughs> what, uh, what, was, what type of comedy did you... Because obviously, you, obviously there's a, you, you have the comedy gene, so what I mean, type Let's of, not forget his performance in Multiplicity. Yeah. Oh, oh Multiplicity. Fun. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I loved. I was such a huge Michael Keaton fan. The way you say "occupado" from that porta potty <laughs> made me laugh when I was thirteen. <laughs> uh, what, what was the? What was your comedy when you when you were growing up? Uh, you mean who did I think yeah, was you love? was terrific? Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, this was sort of. A little bit before uh, stand-up became as popular as it is now. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't really recall that many people. Mostly political stuff, I think. Um, but nobody that I can actually recall. I mean, my comedy as an actor is mostly in spoofing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, going back to Days of Our Lives for a moment, they hired me to be a kidnapping psychopath <laughs> and I looked at the show which I had never done before and I again had it was not a show that I aspired to do and I went wow okay they want a psychopath but what they need is a comedian this show needs um, some humor it just needs to kind of lighten up a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, I, Wait a second. That's not very sans of the hourglass. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I thought, well, I could be still kidnap, a kidnapper, and I could still be a psycho, but I could just do it with a sense of humor. And, and it became extremely popular because it, it sort of gave a little bit of levity. So that's where my personal humor comes from. And just is just sort of like 
you know, popping balloons. Do you like playing a guy like that has a weird quirk or a weird hook or that strong of a point of view? Or do you like playing just a guy? Like, how do you play just a regular guy? I, I don't I don't really know. It's not particularly interesting to me anyway. Um, it, you know, people will say, well, you play a lot of, you know, villains. And I go, well, I actually, I don't. I don't really think of them as villains, you know. You the, can't. No. You have to want what they want. You never. I never thought of Q as a villain. No, and I. Yeah. I don't either. But I mean, you know, t- taking it to to perhaps an absurd level, you know, Hitler did not look in the mirror in the morning and go, "How villainous could I be today?" He actually <laughs> thought everything he was doing was the right thing. Yeah. So. Um, so if you approach it from that point of view, um, you don't really have to. Uh, villains are. Are um, oh, I just read a wonderful book, um, uh, which I'm I'm trying to turn into a play, and I don't know if it's going to work or not. And I uh, the, the guy's name who wrote it is Dan Wells, and and it's it's called I Am Not a Serial Killer. <laughs> okay, and it's about this 15 year old boy who's so bright and so alienated and so self conscious, and he lives in this little tiny town, uh, and he has convinced himself. That he, uh, because he reads too much, if that's possible, <laughs> that he has all of the FBI psychological profiling for being a, a serial killer. <laughs> and into this world comes a real serial killer. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it yeah. is cool. Um, and now I completely forgot as to why I was telling you this story. Well, we were talking about, about villains or whether you're not enjoy villains. villains. Oh, 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 yes. And, and at the end of the book, oh, I don't want to give, give uh, I'm not actually giving anything away. And, and that is, is that you, it, it was a discussion about psychopaths and serial killers and what have you, is, is the thing is that you can never see them coming. You can yeah. never see them coming. So if you take that, and I, I, maybe that was one of the reasons in which I was attracted to the book, and I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you play a villain like you, that the audience can't see coming, that's really dangerous. Yeah. Mm. Otherwise, if you see somebody, you know, you kind of go, holy shit, man, I'm just leaving the room. Um, <laughs> oh, can I say shit? Oh, yeah, 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 sure, yeah, yeah. you sure can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... So in any case, that that's why I, I think I think most actors do it that way. Although sometimes most many writers slash producers and what have you want things much more black and white. Sure, which is not as interesting. So if you're if you're trying to get something made for a play, then is it is it really just come down to money? You have to raise the money to get the rights and then get someone to produce. Everything it comes down to money. Yes, it, it does. Because then you have to find a, a theater that actually wants to do it, and mm-hmm. then you know, and, and and then when you then then you know, you have to consider that most of the people who go to the theater are you know fifty and above. You know, so is a sixty-year-old woman going to want to watch a show about a fifteen-year-old kid who thinks he's a serial killer? <laughs> a legitimate question. Depends yeah. on the woman. It depends on the woman. So all of those things have to be sort of worked out, and um, and you know, and there were so many plays, and there's so mu- there's so much of everything. That's that's one of the problems that I, you know. Um, there's just so much of everything. You ask me if, if, how I think about, you know, or, or, or we were sort of on the subject of, is it easier now than it was 40 years ago? I think not. 
because mm. there's so much of everything. What are we going to do with all of these culinary cooks that they're pumping? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, how many restaurants can we have? You know, I mean, uh, how, how many how many actors do we need? Uh, how many seven on and on? That's, that's right. <laughs> so, I mean, there is something really attractive to me, and maybe it's a you know grass on the other side of the fence type of a scenario of like. Wow, you could, this idea of being a contracted player where they just go, we're going to pay you for two years and you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. We're just going to tell you to be in stuff and then sort of take all of the – I mean I, the, I guess the sad part is that it, it that kind of does take some of the passion out of it in the sense yeah. that you're like – you know, some you might get a luck of the draw, might get a great part or you might be like, oh, I got to be a – Guy who you know just shoots a bank teller and runs out into the street and then that's it. It, it, it. You know what? As as a young actor, it sort of doesn't matter because you actually need to spend some time in front of the camera with all of that, all of what that means, which is mostly it, or at least in my case was, um, how do you act without rehearsing? <laughs> oh my God! There's no rehearsal. There's no rehearsal. There's no... I mean, that was overwhelming at first. There's really no rehearsal. Um, So how do you prepare for that? How do you prepare for the tension that's involved? Um, Especially if you have somebody going, "Um, I'm sorry, we have to do that again. You said was not, and it's written wasn't. Right. (laughs) And and you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So... It just... It's it, okay if you're Data, because he's not supposed to that's, be his contraption. That's right. That's that's right. right. <laughs> Damn you, Matt. Sorry. You know, we were talking about bronies before. Yes, you you're in my, your Discord. I am Discord. <laughs> but we were talking about the uh, brony documentary, not realizing that John uh, produced it. Oh, you produced the brony documentary. That's, yeah. did, did you guys... Did you kickstarted that, right? Did you kickstart yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a, that, is a, that is a huge movement. And, and it wasn't until... I met because um, I, I was a you know I, I was a cartoon fanatic when I was growing up, so I would have watched any animated anything. Uh-huh. And then, of course, as I get older, I don't have I have to be more selective just because of time. But then I went up and podcasted this guy named Gabe Newell, who runs Valve, which is one of you know one of the most innovative video game companies in the world. And he's also one of the smartest people you could ever ever meet. And he said very matter of factly, and he was like, "I love My Little Pony. It's great." And I'm a huge fan of it. And so it made me think, oh, maybe there's something. I had sort of, because when I was growing up, the Pony show was very much a, a children's show. And so I did. I watched, I watched a bit of Friendship is Magic. And it's great. It's really great. I really liked it. Now, I don't know if I would consider myself a brony. I'm probably not going to dress as, no offense, I may not dress as Discord and go out in public. But I do. But in private, he'll do it. But in private, I'll do it. You're yeah. a phony brony. For kicks. Um, <laughs> Hey man, maybe he's the realest brony there is because he's doing it at home. Yo, so uh, yo, knee twenty twelve. Okay. Um, but uh, I, uh, I absolutely, I, I really, really, really thought the show was was really great. I, I agree with you, uh, and that's Lauren Faust. She's the one who, who she's the one who took. I think there were three, um, three versions or three chapters you know uh, uh, starting back in the 80s when they came to her to do the fourth one uh, as she explained it to me um, 
she was, uh, she had already been a fan as a girl of the ponies, not particularly of the cartoon, because the cartoon was really intended to sell merchandise. Right, sure. So, um, and there's a stigma for, you know, for animators to get involved in, in things that have just selling merchandise. But she had created a world when she was a little girl that when they came to her and said, you know, would you be at all interested in this? And could you give us a presentation? Instead of the 10-page presentation, she gave them a 40-page presentation, which was um, just so com- much more complex. And um, and so this is really up from her that, huh. that it comes. You know, it's it's I, I like it because it is, first of all, the artwork is gorgeous on the show. Right. The animation's really great. Oh, I agree. Yeah, and and it's um, and it's 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 one of those shows that's really layered where you can see the top layer, like oh, you know, kids are like this, and then there's just this bottom layer where you're like ah, grown ups and hipsters, right? There's something, there's something in there. Right. No idea. You have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, oh, but Doug Benson swears by it. Really? Yeah. The show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Doug Benson is also the biggest stoner that we know collectively, but any moving images really gets it's, 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 it still works. <laughs> But that people are absolutely obsessed. I mean, like, even just the... Because I was trying to figure out... You know, my, my girlfriend and I were watching it, and she, and she was like, oh, yeah, Fluttershy, the internet's all over that one. Like, they are really obsessed with Fluttershy. And you go on, and there's these crazy, like, really deep trench forums just devoted to this character. She spent... Chloe spent an hour. Someone made a My Little Pony avatar builder that you can personalize. It's on DeviantArt. Jeez. And you can put a little stamp on it and create it, and so now we we both have those <laughs> tattooed on. <laughs> what did, did did you did you make the documentary, or you just raised the money to? No, what what happened was is that I got a call from my agent, and he said you have an offer to do. Uh, yeah, which is essentially how it went into my. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I I didn't. Uh, fine, whatever. And um, and so I asked the three questions that actors always ask. How much, when, and I need to see the material. Right. So In that order. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so in any case, uh, they sent me the material. I read maybe three pages of it, and I went, oh, wow, this is re- really well written. So I called back, and I said, sure, let's do it. I probably took two to three hours to prep it. Let's say two hours to prep it. Went in uh, an hour or, or, or so to record it, never to be thought of again. Because yeah, it's just you did it. It just, yeah. you did it. That's 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 it. About three months later, I went down to my um, computer in, in my office, and I had two or three hundred emails in my inbox, and they all said. MLP, you know, MLP, My Little Pony. I go, God, what, what, do you, I, spam, this is terrible, I'll never be able to use this address ever again, you know, so I'm reading it, I go, My Little Pony, so I call up to my wife, and I go, you know, what do you know about My Little Pony? And she said, well, um, you voiced it. it you voiced it. It's a, it's a cartoon. You voiced it uh, about three months ago, and and it's for little girls. And I said, "Well, these are not little girls that are writing me." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I went, Ugh, I had enough blood. So I called up my agent and I said, what have you gotten me into? <laughs> and uh, this is not some sort of religious thing or something because I'm going to be really upset about that. And he goes, no, I don't know. And I goes, what is this, brony? What is a brony? I have no idea. You know, <laughs> so, so that night... I just f- mumbled the job to you when it came <laughs> in. What's a brony? I'm asking Sylvia, John. Hang on. Get me an answer. <laughs> so that night, a friend of mine, um, Mike Brockoff, came over to the house, who I've known for years, and he's, he, he produces uh, reality television and, you know, essentially documentaries. And he said, we ought to do a documentary about this. And I said, I am not touching this with a 10-foot pole. I mean, I, what is... This is like a Petri dish for pedophiles or something. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I mean, I mean, what could this possibly be about? You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I am not touching this one. I don't know, I don't know anything about the show. I just did it. It's like, oh my god, and that was the end of it. And I went up to uh, Vancouver to to work on something, and uh, and some kids came up to me. And they said, oh, you know, Mr. Lancey, could you sign that? I said, yeah, uh, what is this? Oh, this is the character of Discord. I go, oh, yeah. And so I'm signing. You know, and I, I do maybe 10 or 12, and then, you know, the next person comes up, and I say, why are you watching this show? What is, what is it about the show? Oh, it's, uh, we love the colors to the show. We love the animation. Uh, we love the fact that it's about being, you know, loyal and and." and honest and you know all these nice things that you are or that that, that, that the show is about and I went oh like that and I began to see connect them as being a little bit like you know extremely nerdy but I began and soft but very sweet people and I began to understand them a little bit like early Star Trek yeah no. and I thought oh isn't that interesting you know I really wasn't involved in that that beginning of Star Trek. I was, I was the next, you know, the next generation of Star Trek. So I, uh, so at the end of two weeks, I, I had a, a very positive feeling about, about the guys who were coming up to me. Well, my friend back in Los Angeles, he was still kind of churning on this idea. And he said, I'm going to send you some links. Now this was just before the, um, just before the um, last presidential thing, and so the 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 airways were polluted with with just really horrible news type thing. And I'm not a Fox News person uh, fan at all. Uh, I think they've done more to. Well, you were at Woodstock. We understood. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's a lot of a lot. Of, they've just done more to kind of destroy the truth in this country to you know critical thinking and so so in any case he said i need for you to take a look at this so and it was um some clips from fox uh essentially saying you know bronies uh, degradation uh, you know the the this this is foretold in revelation uh you know, they're, they're a bunch of homosexuals who live at home on food stamps and disabilities so they can watch cartoons uh, at their, in their parents' basements. And I called immediately. I said, damn it. We're, we're making this documentary. We're going to make it. Um, these are really sweet kids. I, I don't watch this cartoon. But if they want to watch it, and uh, for God's sakes, it's, about, it's a cartoon about being, you know, <laughs> good and, yeah. and, and honest and loyal and, and, and we're going to make fun of them. 
So he said, I said, let's make it. And then he, and I said, but how are we going to pay for it? He said, well, I'd like to go on Kickstarter. And he said, do you think you could get yourself into a convention? And I said, yes, I, I think I can. I'll, I'll make it. <laughs> and, um, and he said, uh, you know, maybe two cameras, six weeks to two months, um, $60,000 uh, of production costs. And I said, Is, do you think that's going to be enough? And he goes, oh, well, you know, it's Kickstarter. I don't know really anything about Kickstarter, and I'm going to do it. So I said, great, great, great. Let's do it. Well, we then, we then got in touch with Lauren Faust, uh, with Tara Strong, who, who mm -hmm. okay, and, uh, you know, people who I'd never met and tried to explain to them. And also it was really difficult because we really didn't know what the... We didn't really understand what this was about. We still didn't understand it. Um, um, but I had a sense that it was something special. And uh, so Kickstarter opened up and within, I don't know, three weeks or so, we got $340,000. Wow. And one of the things in which... I, we were asked many, many, many times, is this something that I'm going to be able to show my parents? To let them know that it's okay. That, yeah. To, it, this it, is what I'm about. That's right. Because I have put fingernail polish on my, on my fingernails does not unravel everything of who I am and what I am and go into some perverted... Right in, into into the world that you think. That well, it's just it's just a it's a it's it's a, the rigid part of the culture looking at something that's different and then going, oh well, that must be horrible because that's not that's not what I do, so that's got to be horrible. Right, exactly. And so uh, it's it's important, and, and the Star Trek comparison is I think is really important too because. You know, every once in a while, a, a sh something really sticky, a show comes along that's... Uh, well, sticky is probably a bad adjective. A show comes along that essentially creates an ideal, like, like um, uh, you know, I, I, almost in the way that I think people might... I think it's for people who, who might find, like, that's well, that's my religion. That's a set of beliefs that I would like to just subscribe to and align myself with because it makes me feel like I want to feel connected to this bigger ideal. There's no question that uh, I, I agree with you, and one of the things in which I was just amazed at is that you, and, and it would happen to me constantly. You would see, you know, a kid sitting in the corner. I, I'm, I'm going to paint a picture. There's a kid sitting in the corner, and you go, "Oh, he's really lonely, and he doesn't have any friends, and you know, blah blah blah." No, actually, he goes upstairs. He turns on Skype. He has friends in, in Sri Lanka, in Manchester, England, and such and such. They talk about a show, which is the one thing that pulls them together. They then create tremendous artwork, songs that, you know, they're, they're you know, it's, it's a very creative community. And um, I was amazed. I mean, I kept on being continually <coughs> amazed if you see the documentary you will one of the things in which i was really concerned about when we were shooting now by the way because we ended up getting much more than we asked for uh, we just said well you know we are going to put we're, we're just going to we're, we're going to make sure it all goes on the screen so instead of two cameras we had six cameras or i don't know it might have been more than that eight cameras or something like seven or something like uh, so we just went concentric circles out. We ended up sending a team to Israel. 
team to to uh, to England, team to uh, Germany and Holland, all around the wow. country. As we began to to find, try to to discover what this was about. One of the things that people talk to me a lot about is that I got two fathers together. And doing a documentary is not easy. It's really like herding cats. And, you know, you have to understand is that if you have, if you have uh, six or seven cameras rolling, you have six or seven people behind those cameras who have all sorts of different opinions about what's going on. You don't sure. have... Yeah, so, you know, their camera is pointing in one direction where you kind of go, why are we in that direction? We should be over here. And, you know, what, what is... Yeah. So, so this all ends up coming... It all ends up taking almost a year to put together and from start to finish. Um, but in the end, we were able to capture the spirit, which was so, so um, electric and so... Um, it, I don't know. I'm at a loss for words, but it, it 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 was. We were able to capture the spirit of of a group of people, four thousand, who felt that they were involved in something that was quite unusual. Um, also, when you consider too, is that is that there's not really entertainment when you consider the the entertainment for a twenty year old has mostly is is pretty violent entertainment. I watch violent entertainment. I don't watch gratuitous violent entertainment. But, I mean, I'm not, like, some prude about that Mm. stuff at all. But if you have any other part of you, I was able to talk to people who I did not include in the film but um, were in the military who uh, run drones. Mm. Okay? They slip in. You know, it's a three-hour, eight-hour, three eight-hour shifts. They slip in to to the monitor and they say, "So what's going on?" The guy is in the you know in the house sleeping. The wife is doing the laundry outside. The kids are across the street. You know, okay, like that. And then someday, one of uh, those hours, somebody's going to say, "Now." Oh. Okay. So he he explained to me. He said, "You know, I just need to." just kind of wash my brain out a little bit. So I would come home and I watch it and it and it's a little like Star Trek which was, you know, it, it promised a better future, mm-hmm. which is what Star Trek was. This sort of made he said it just made me smile. So I just thought we really need to protect those. We we need to protect shows like that. Well, that that stuff I think that type of entertainment is important because I think people don't realize that their reality is essentially shaped by whatever they surround themselves with. And, of course, there are a lot of bad things in the world. But there's also a lot of good things in the world. Right. But it's just that the bad things are get to us quicker and easier because that sells things. Right. And also, as you said before, this idea of the other. I'm not going to walk around with a wig on my head. The only time I do that is when I'm paid. <laughs> okay, but other people can. Doesn't mean I don't know. I don't have to get any further than it's Halloween for them. Yeah, I don't have to get into their sexuality. I don't have to get into their politics. I don't have to get into anything of that stuff. Um, we've really become very hipsterish about that type of thing, and or just plain mean spirited. And so I think that this documentary and what what happens is is that people who have, who have come to my house to watch it, I mean friends who would say, 
you know, I would invite them to the house. I'd say, I want you know, I want you to see this documentary uh, that I worked on, and it comes with a complimentary dinner. And um, and and, and you then know, you try it, to sell them your house for two <laughs> weeks a year, <laughs> and then they and then they say, um, so, and they, so you know, we're walking down to the TV room, and they're saying, uh, so uh, uh, so I said, it's it's about bronies, brownies. <laughs> no, 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 bronies. Brown? What are? Well, I don't understand. So they really didn't get it, and they first would start off by going, "Oh, oh, oh my God!" And then they would be pulled in, and then they would be a little bit repelled, and back and forth. And and um, one of them, who's really high up in the world of medicine and what have you, she said to me, "I." It was a revelation for me because I thought I was going to watch something move, you know, an arc, uh, watch somebody else have a transformation. But in point of fact, I ended up having the transformation. Oh, wow. Yeah. It really pushed me as to see where my little prejudices are and where, where how I... You know, read the book. The bad MLP, My Little Prejudices. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, bad one. Yeah. That's the bad one. Yeah. But anything that, I think, anything that promotes, you know, and, and I'm like you, I'm not, I'm not prude. I love violent, fucked up things. But I also think that, you know, there should be a little bit of a balance. And I think that, you know, anything that promotes acceptance and positivity and, like, you know, hope is good. And we fucking need it. Like, we really, really need it. Because yeah. there's, so, there's so much bad stuff like an inch from our face. I mean, like, even, you know, we had a couple of earthquakes, and then if I go to my Google News page, could this be a foreshock? Like, why would you even put that fucking... Uh, like, that was already in the back of my head somewhere. Why did you have to say it? You know, like, how about, hey, you know, um, what a tremor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe we're not going to die tomorrow. Wouldn't yeah. that be great? Maybe instead of the big one, we're getting all these little baby ones. And Get don't worry away. about it yeah, anymore. Exactly. But, it, but, but just the idea that, um, you know, that so much of our, our, our media and pop culture plays to the fact that we're scared shitless um, just because we don't have any control over anything. So this kind of stuff, I think, is really... It's, it just, it's just, like you said with the guy with the drone, it just sort of helps... Like, just kind of wash all that stuff out a little bit so you can feel okay for a few minutes. Yeah, we are in a time of fear. Everything seems to be organized that way. feels like that may not be going away anytime soon. No, I don't no. think so. <laughs> right. So the documentary is available now. It's, it's on Netflix. On Netflix. Yeah. Um, well, I, I hope you had a nice time. It was wonderful to have you here. And you, It's over. Well, <laughs> I just don't want to. We, 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 we can oh, talk oh, if you want. I'm being pushed to the door. No, hi everyone. Get out of here, hippie. Yeah. <laughs> we got to talk about Fox News now. Yeah, bros. Yeah, bros. It's a bunch of bros watching Fox News. Broxies. Broxies. <laughs> Broxies. Fox. Oh my God. I'm a proxy by proxy. <laughs> Does the pony defeat the fox? So do you got? Are we off now? No, we're still on. Oh, but we could just have casual. Yeah, no, casual. Okay, casual but, uh, so are you here? Every, I mean, all the time, every day, right? Well, no, I um, I'm I do a TV show here, and Matt writes on that show. Jonah, they're but occasionally we get together and do the podcast, and sometimes they can't make it to everyone. Matt is such a huge fan of yours that he is he's took. An hour off of work, yeah. So he could come. Be Matt here. and I met each other in in Boston. Yep. 
I'm, are you are you a memorable fan? I mean, man? yeah, I'm the most yeah. memorable. <laughs> I said, that's what I said when I walked in. Now, when you home. say Met, <laughs> Matt tracked you down. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah. I uh, had said to him when I walked in, I was like, "Oh, yeah. hey, John, nice to meet you." And he then I was like, "Actually, at the door, he was dressed up like he had he had my breakfast." Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he was dressed like Q. And then you were like, "There's no sausage." I was like, "Check under the robe." And it <laughs> was come on, great. Come on, Matt. What are you? <laughs> yeah. So um, Matt and I are here. Every day. every day, um, and then Jonah pops in uh, to do the podcast. I also like the salads at that cafe. Over there. <laughs> so you're just coming here for the salad? Yeah, coming here for the Babalu. salad. Babalu salad. You know, it's a good lot, though. This is a really old lot. There's oh a lot, yeah, there's a lot yeah, of it's a lot of history here. Oh, so you must have, you must have shot stuff here before. You know, I was thinking of, uh, uh, when I when I came here, I was trying to think of. Uh, I can't think of what I've shot here. Um, I remember uh, I've shot a fair amount at Culver, a lot of at. Um, at uh, Paramount, and um, but I, I don't. You weren't on the first three seasons of I Love Lucy because that was that's a, that's our stage. Our stage is the original I Love it, Lucy. Oh, stage. really? Yeah. yeah. So you know, they were the ones who uh, bankrolled um, uh, Star Trek. Yeah, Desi Lou. Yeah, yeah that's right. Desi Lou production. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Um, they're uh, you know look Southern California in comparison to the rest of the world doesn't really have a deep history. We're yeah. fairly new. And so, you know, when we're like, this lot was built in 1919, like, my favorite comical thing. to other people. Oh, that's well, true. My very fa- fun it, doesn't have a, it doesn't have a deep white guy history. It's got a very deep <laughs> history, Chris. My favorite... Uh... Fuck you for calling me out on that. <laughs> How dare you call me out on my ethnocentric accidental racism. The accidental racist? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> So who who else was at, at that at that convention? Uh, now when was that? That was ninety six. So that uh, is the show still on? Was Leonard there? Yeah, that might have been. That might have been the mega one, the Shatner and Leonard Nimoy one. All right, or maybe it was just Leonard Nimoy. Leonard always does the boss. So Jonathan Frakes at a party the other night. Oh, that's Frakes. I didn't talk to him because oh. we never met, and I was I didn't want. When I when he when I when I met him, he kissed me on the cheek, and I thought that was odd. Yet enjoyable. <laughs> it was the strangest. It was the strangest party because it was Nathan Fillion's. Probably. It was Nathan's birthday exactly. party, but it was because I walked in. And I'm like, "There's Jonathan Frakes talking to Barbara Streisand." Like the strangest that collection. What, what party is this? Just a friend of mine's birthday party because because uh, James Brolin pl- played his dad on Castle. And so oh, James Brolin was there oh, and brought the, brought the wife game. with him. That's great. And I kept saying to Chloe, like, I can't fucking believe Barbara Streisand's here. And she's like, yeah, so? And I go, no, you know, and all my references are, are outside of her. Yeah. So I go, uh, no, that'd be like if you walked in and Elton John was at a party. And she was like, so? Uh, so? <laughs> like, it, just every reference I had. She her, it's the mom from Meet the Fockers. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Fock? Yeah. Everyone I've met from uh, from Next Gen, and a lot of them have been on this podcast. Almost everyone, I think. Everyone's been everyone's so nice. Like, so what I'm are, the last? No, I n- I've not had Denise Crosby. <laughs> we didn't, uh, not had Frakes. No Frakes. Yeah. We have not. Um, He's a great. He he would be a great interviewer. Frakes is great. I interviewed Frakes yeah. and Lavar on Attack. But of we've the had show. Dorn, Lavar, uh, Will Wheaton. I've been friends with Will for twenty yeah, yeah. some odd years. Yeah. Um, 
we had you had Patrick on. We had Patrick on. You had Patrick on. Yeah, we had Patrick on. Um, and then uh, and then that was it. No, data. We had uh, we, we Brent did, Spiner, uh, yeah. Spiner at um, at the Phoenix Comic. Who are we missing? Well, Marina, we haven't had, but I've interviewed her for Attack of the Show. Yeah. And we're trying to collect everyone. Gates, yeah. That'd be it. We need Gates and Marina. Can you get them on the phone? <laughs> it was. So what else? What else? Did, so that was the mega, the mega Star Trek one. That well, that was what there was like. They were they were pitching. This, I remember them selling it as like this big con with like Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner together on stage. Yeah, the captain thing. I, I listen. I went to a lot when I was a kid. My it mother is, would take me to a lot of. Conventions. I mean, every you know everyone has At the such... Heinz Convention Center in Boston, Massachusetts. You know everyone. Uh, I wonder if there's a everyone's very patient about the fanaticism too it yeah. seems like because you know you go to Leonard Nimoy's house and he has all this art on the walls this photography that he shot that's fucking beautiful just this amazing photography and then people are still like so what's going on between you and uh, Kirk I'm like yeah but I uh, there's all this other stuff yeah. you know but right. he seems like but he seems you know he seems okay with it because they just yeah. he just sort of seems like oh yeah but this got me to a place well, where what I can idol send you same as what Eric Heinle said. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Although, I did sense a little bit that there was a little of, uh, you know, why do people give me an amount this deal? You know, like with Eric. Yeah. It seemed like that a little bit. I tried not to talk about it too much. But you, but when you have someone on, and that's something that a lot of people know about them, you kind of, you want to at least graze the topic a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure, right, right. Without right. harping on right, it right. too much. right. Did we harp too much on Star Trek today? Oh, no. Okay, good. I'm sure he's been through worse. I mean, we put an inhibitor chip in the back of Matt's brain. <laughs> it's firing right now. I mean, God. I'm talk about that time. Cisco punched you in the face. I mean, uh... <laughs> it's not working. His brain is overriding the inhibitor chip. Your two Voyagers were great, too. Oh, God. Oh, Matt, please. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's going through Matt's brain right now? Hey, Chris, why don't you say something accidentally racist again? Why don't we talk about that? What are we gonna do I don't have to ask. <laughs> I don't do that! I don't do that! Ever! That was one it's time. It's a joke, Chris. It was it's one okay. time. No, The people listening time. to this understand. Yes, well, the white people do. Because... <laughs> oh, now it's not actually... What? 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 <laughs> um... White so people much. listen to the podcast like this. Some people do. Thank you so much for... Is there anything else you want to p- promote or plug or have people no, know no, about? No, no. You don't care. You're no. just good. I'm sailing to... Uh, I, I sailed my boat to, to Edie. You want to, prom- oh, you want to promote shit. your vacation? You're going to promote your vacation here? There we go. How long does it take? Oh, uh, let's see. Um, I left in... It, it took me 26 days to get to the Marchese's. Um, wow. And I, and I went around the Marchese's for a while. And then, um, then the Tuamotos were about five or six hundred miles away, and then, and then Tahiti was another. So, I, I was gone for three and a half months. And you came because you went there and came back. No, I'm going. I'm leaving in uh, in the end of May to go back and pick it up. Um, wow. So, oh, oh wait. So your boat's there. Yeah. How you big is the, how much room is on the boat? Well, it's a forty-three footer. Nice. Yeah, you did all right. Yeah, good job. Now I, I've been on uh, I've been on cruise ships and thought I would go crazy because you're just isolated, and the cruise ship is actually not that bad because it's essentially a floating mall. Yeah. It's like a city, but you also yeah. have like 
you just left to your own devices. Well, he actually has to has sail. to actually sail yeah. and yeah. take yeah, responsibility yeah. for the journey. <laughs> yeah. How do you not get a little? Fr- I, I got a little freaked out driving across country because I would just get out in the middle of nowhere and be like, "I'm trapped in the middle of nowhere." I'm, I'm in a, you know, is that, is that freeing to you? Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that is that when you're in the middle of the ocean, you are really, really far away. It, uh, as I, uh, it would take. They could get somebody out of a space capsule faster than they could Fine. get find yeah. m- m- you know me. So, so um, sometimes at two o'clock in the morning, you know, I'd be out there and I'd I'd look at the water, which is rushing by just right there, just a few feet away from me, and thinking, "Wow, you know what? If I fell over, that, that that's it. That's that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Never. There's no recovery. That's it." So um, you are always. Those couple of sentences just yeah. made Jonah jump. That's that shit is yeah. That's is that's that like, a pho- phobia? God, I went on the, like this one cruise ship and just even just being on like you know a huge boat, but like you think like there's no one monitoring like the the railings are just if you fall over and then you're just in the ocean. It's like I had. Like, and they can't grow- turn that thing around real fast. No, they can't. I grew up, uh, you know, I grew up in uh, Hawaii, uh, and you know, they always tell you don't swim too far out, don't get caught in the, you know, the, you know, the current, and because there's always those stories where it's like, you know, someone went a little too far out and they got caught, and then they just get pulled out into the middle of nowhere, and I had nightmares about that all the time, just being in the middle of the water. Yeah, well, you never did it though. What? Those nightmares were worth it. You're still with us today. No, I got caught in a current once on a kayak. And like, it was like, you know, and then you're just like, you go, you get pushed over to this area where it's like, there's no more beach. It's just waves slamming against sharp rocks. And it's just, it's the most frightening thing because there's, you know, it's just, yeah. So sorry. He didn't didn't have any of that. He was just out in the middle of the ocean. I know. I know. Just like, but like, it's like that water stuff, like even just, even even though I grew up on an island, like that stuff, like just freaks me out. Just, just being swept out. Do you have any, I can't watch that Robert Redford movie. I haven't watched it because it's going to, it's going to scare me. Do you, do you have any communication devices out in the middle of the water that you could, if anything happened? Well, everybody, most everybody carries an EPIRB, which is essentially a beacon that you press, uh, which sends up a, a thing to the satellite and, and says there's an emergency. But it, it could be days, uh, easily days. You know, they, listen, they can't find a plane right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you if you fell in the water, your head is about the size of a coconut. Do, do you know how easy it is or, or difficult it is? We 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 were in at noon. Um we ended up seeing a a a, a fisher a, a fishing buoy, which was, you know, I don't know, it's like whatever, 5 foot mm. diameter you know, circumference whatever that is. Painted orange. 35, 40 yards away from us. Saw it once. I went, oh, wow. You know, so a couple of the guys who were with me, I said, hey, take a look at this. The next guy came up immediately up up onto into the cockpit. Saw it, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The next guy who was right behind him, we went and took... And that was it. We couldn't see it. And we never saw it again. Oh, God. <laughs> now, that was this th- size, you know, huge, and painted orange. Can you imagine a head this big? <laughs> how, many, how many people are in your crew? There were three. And that's it? Just the three of you guys? Yeah. In the middle. And you have to 
but you have to make sure you have enough to eat and enough water. Uh, you have to uh, enough to eat and all that. Sure. Uh, the the thing that that most people don't understand. Um, I mean, don't really appreciate it. Is that you know? Let's say your day started at six in the morning. It's light. Uh, also, in in that part of the world, it's like the switch goes on, or it goes on and off. It's like a light switch. At quarter of six, it's dark. Mm. At quarter after six, it's like noon. Same thing at night. Quarter of six, well, everything's cool. It's like right right out there. At quarter after six, it's midnight. And you, so you're starting at 6 o'clock in the morning, and you are sailing, and you get to 6 o'clock at night, okay? And it's been a long 12-hour day, but it's been a really great day. Well, you have another 12 hours to go. And all the same things have to continue. The boat is continuing to move and what have you. So uh, after a while, you get very, very tired. Nobody's, nobody sleeps for more than a few three four hours at a time mm-hmm. at the most and uh so those long journeys become quite wearisome in that respect mm. but you and and also they're, they're fine but you are always you know also that any problem is usually starts with one a little problem uh, it's a compounding of three or four problems so what you try to do is so that there's very rarely any catastrophic thing that takes place without this compounding that takes place beforehand. So you are always checking. You're always checking. You're always trying to get just, just some sort of warning, some, you know, just to make sure that you're, you're just ahead of, the, ahead of the curve. Whether it's this way, let's go a little bit this way. And I'm talking about actually stuff on the boat. Just stuff on the boat, you know, a little fray of a wire, and you didn't pick it up, um, could be the catastrophic breaking of that shroud, and the yeah. mass goes down. So, so you you are just you're just checking all the time. You're just checking all the time. You do not go up on deck without um, without uh, your harness. You cannot fall overboard. Even if you, if you fell overboard, the fact that there were, might be two, more, two of us on board doesn't mean that we're going to be able to catch, catch you. <laughs> Jonah's face! <laughs> no, I yeah, know. Yeah, I just, yeah. it's like Your it's, feet are on the ground. Hold my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I've even gone to Catalina. Like, it's like I'm so scared. <laughs> I've been living out here for fucking 13 years. I'm... <laughs> oh, buddy, you're yeah. the worst Hawaiian. <laughs> I've been there. I like. I know how close and how easy it could happen. Yeah. But it also, boy, what a what a training ground for the rest of life of how to pay attention and how to put out tiny fires before they become infernos and how to you know be engaged. Yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah. I hope you uh, love. Maybe come back after you after you because you're gonna sail back. Yeah, yeah, it's all uphill. I gotta say, yeah, I can park outside there. We'll get you right off the boat. Yeah, yeah. Or at least you know if you. I guess maybe this might get in the way, but it'd be really great to, if you if you did like a little video diary along the way and just you know just had a record of it. That'd be really neat. Um. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Uh, the, I, I did it a little bit. Um, I, actually, I let everybody else do it. I, I just, um, 
so I have a few pictures here and there, what have you. It's, it's, it was sort of a private... It was yeah. something I had wanted to do since I was a little boy. Yeah. And so it was about just doing it, yeah. you know. And everybody, when I came back, they sort of lived vicariously because I would write sort of silly, you know, crazy little blurbs every once in a while. But for the most part, um, I really didn't have very much to say when I came back. Um, and I think people were kind of disappointed with me because, they, you know, they wanted it to be, you know, and you met God. And, you right. Know, that type of stuff. And I was not, I, no, I, I, just, I just did it. Some things in life you just got to do and you don't really have to. Well, on day three, we saw some water. (laughs) On day four, right, water. Right, right. (laughs) Et cetera. Day 23. All right. Thank you so much. Enjoy your burrito. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand, Drunk Elephant, was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.